Well, good morning, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to the TR90 Body Burn 30 support call. This call happens Monday through Friday at this time, which for me is 6.40 Pacific time. It's 7.40 Mountain time, 8.40 Texas time, and 9.40 Eastern time. Thrilled to have you along with us. If you ever miss these calls, you can pick them up on SoundCloud or wherever you get your podcasts through by putting in Frank, F-R-A-N-K, Lomas, L-O-M-A-S, and TR90, or Solutions, the Digit 4 Anti-Aging, and they will pop up. They're recorded back now more than 11 years. Thrilled to have you along with us. If you're listening to this and it's a podcast and you want to catch us live, if you dial in to 1-712-775-8972 and when it prompts for the code, put in 910022, you can join us live and we would be thrilled to have you along with us. For those of you that do not know who I am, I'm Susan Mann out of Portland, Oregon, welcoming you to this call. And it's the weight management called to help support your TR90 journey, and it is a lifestyle change. So when you're first starting out, it's that one good clean lean meal a day, two shakes a day, three snacks a day, 30 grams of protein at at least three of those meals. Taking your supplements 15 to 20 minutes before a meal is uh, your best choice, but if you're not able to do that, do take it with your meals because it will still work. It's just not quite as effective as it would have been otherwise. Staying hydrated, current thinking is at least one ounce of water for every two pounds you weigh. So if you weigh 100 pounds, you should be drinking 50 ounces of water daily. Adjusting for humidity, and if you're working out heavily, you'll need to adjust that up in those two cases. 30 minutes of moderate to heavy exercise, at least five days a week, which will help keep your lifestyle in balance. And if you finding out that you're plateauing, take a look at what you're eating. You might need to add an extra shake. You might need to add um, a little more exercise. just all depends, but um, taking a look and reevaluating. You should be getting seven-plus servings of fruits and vegetables every single day. That will give you macronutrients, micronutrients, and it will give you fiber. And guys should be getting about 45 grams of fiber daily. And ladies, we need to be getting about 32 grams of fiber for good digestive health. The other thing I would highly recommend is seven to nine hours of good quality sleep a night because that really sets your body up the next day for having a really good day, helps you make good decisions. Um, You're not working – if you're not – Moving through a sleep deficit, um, it really is optimum. And with that being said, I'm always looking for information to share with you that will help support our TR90 lifestyle. And today's information is actually coming out of a book that's called Fat Chance, Beating the Odds Against Sugar, Processed Food, Obesity, and Disease. It was written by Robert H. Lustig, MD, MSL. <laughs> And we left off where we're talking about gluttony and sloth and behaviors that are driven by hormones. And today we're starting out with the hypothalamic obesity behavior or biochemistry. Not sure why I got a tickle in my throat. 
This is where I enter the story, and this is Dr. Lustig. In 1995, he arrived in Memphis to start work at St. Jude's Children Research Hospital as a pediatric neuroendocrinologist. His training is in caring for kids with brain tubers, and St. Jude has a large population of survivors. Many of these children develop hormonal deficiencies because of damage to the hypothalamus due to the tumor itself. The neurosurgery to remove it or the radiation and chemotherapy they receive to try to kill it. The good news is that we endocrinologists can treat these children by replacing most of the hormones that are missing. We can affect their growth, energy, metabolism, and cognitive status, induce puberty when the children are age-appropriate and improve their overall health. Improve their overall health, excuse me. However, a relatively small number of children like Marie and adults who survive their brain tubers become massively obese after their tumor therapy is complete. Their hypothalamus is damaged and their weight skyrockets. Their appetites aren't that different from those of other obese children, but their energy expenditure is markedly decreased. Marie didn't move. Those affected sit on the couch, watch TV, eat, poop, sleep, and generally lose interest in the world around them. As one parent stated, it's double jeopardy to think you might lose your kid to a cancer and survive it, but then lose your kid to a complication instead. Parents with this form of obesity, or patients with this form of obesity called hypothalamic obesity can't lose weight. Even if these children eat only 500 calories a day, they gain weight. The neurons in the hypothalamus, which sense the leptin signal, are all dead. The servo mechanism for energy balance has been short-circuited, and this is leptin resistance at its worst, an anatomic leptin resistance. Rodent studies dating back to the early 1950s showed that when you damage the VMH, the animal will become massively obese. Not even food restriction will reverse that. The VMH lesioned rats ate more than they needed and burned less than they should have. Unlike the leptin-deficient mice, no amount of leptin would fix the problem. These animals had anatomic leptin resistance, leptin that had no place to act. The obese children I saw at St. Jude's were similar to these VMH lesioned rats. There was no fixing them because there was no way to regrow those neurons. Those children were stuck forever in bodies that just kept storing energy instead of burning it, with brains that consistently thought the bodies were starving. They would forever get fatter on fewer calories and never feel good and would lose interest in everything around them. If this isn't hell on earth for a parent and a child, I don't know what is. Worse yet, there was no treatment. Diet and exercise is notoriously ineffective in these children. Weight loss drugs also didn't work. In 1995, I was faced with a clinic full of patients with hypothalamic obesity following their brain tumor therapy. How to help them? I couldn't give them leptin. 
because the block at the hypothalamus would not allow leptin to work. If any therapy were to be successful, it would have to work downstream of the leptin neuron, somewhere between the brain and the fat cell. So the next section is called insulin, the leptinator. Normally among Normally, the amount of insulin released in response to a meal is yoked or linked to the blood sugar rise. But there are a few things that force the pancreas to make extra insulin, the vagus nerve being chief among them. When the brain can't see the leptin signal, as in the children, such as Marie, it interprets starvation. The vagus nerve goes into overdrive to store more energy and kickstarts the pancreas to make extra insulin, even more than the glucose rise would predict. This excess insulin release drives nonstop energy storage and nonstop weight gain. As it happens, there is a drug available that can lower insulin secretion as a side effect. It's called an octo Reotide or sandostatin, which is made by Nova Artis Pharmaceuticals, and what is what we use to treat Marie. It is normally used to reduce pituitary growth hormone secretion in patients who have tumors of the pituitary gland, a disease called acromegalia but it also happens to reduce pancreatic insulin secretion. It doesn't wipe it out completely. That would cause diabetes, but it does reduce the rapid early release of insulin in response to a meal or a glucose tolerance test. But it's expensive and it requires injections and has side effects with regard to obesity. It is for experimental studies only. We have treated many children with hypothalamic obesity with octoreotide. When we were successful in reducing their insulin release, the patients lost weight and started to feel better. Parents were calling me up within a, the first few weeks saying, I got my kid back. How amazing. The children had started to be active. When we got the insulin down, Marie and patients like her improved phys physically, mentally, and socially. These studies highlight a crucial concept of obesity. Each of us is really two compartments, lean body mass, which is the heart, lung, or heart, liver, kidneys, brain, and muscles, which burn energy, and fat, which stores energy. Every molecule of energy consumed has a choice to which compartment does the energy go. Does the energy is the energy burned or stored? Your consumption of energy is never high enough to overwhelm both compartments at the same time. No one can eat that much. This means that there is an issue of energy flux to the two compartments. What factor determines which department gets the energy? Your insulin does. The more insulin there is, the more energy goes to fat. Normally, your fat makes more leptin which would feed back on your hypothalamus, decrease your insulin by reducing your appetite and limiting your energy intake. In this way, the servo mechanism between the leptin and 
the brain and your pancreas and your insulin and your fat cells maintains normal energy balance. But if your hypothalamus can't see your leptin, in this case because those neurons are dead from a brain tumor, then your brain thinks it's starving. It will reduce your activity to conserve energy and increase your appetite to store more energy. When leptin doesn't work, (coughs) the biochemistry comes first and the behaviors of gluttony and sloth are secondary. This is all well and good for Marie and a few unfortunate souls with hypothalamic obesity. They have a brain tumor. They have a legitimate excuse for being fat, and at least there is now a rational, if painful, and expensive approach to treatment. For them, the biochemistry dictates the behavior. However, the overwhelming majority of obese people do not have a Goomba sitting in the middle of their heads wreaking havoc on their energy balance pathway. What does this phenomenon have to do with the obesity pandemic? As you will see, everything. Back in 1998, after three years of my working at St. Jude's, the response of these patients was quite a revelation. My colleagues at the University of Tennessee and I wondered, is it possible that an adult population without brain tumors might manifest the same problem? Do they also have increased vagal term, uh, tone driving excess insulin secretion causing their obesity? If we gave them octreotide to suppress their insulin, might they lose weight, feel better, and start exercising? We didn't know what these patients looked like, so we did a pilot study in 44 morbidly obese adults recruited off the street. We treated all of them with the octreotide for six months, courtesy of the Novartis Pharmaceuticals. No dieting, no exercising, just the drugs. We told them if the drug works, it will work by itself. We've done this experiment twice, first as a pilot and then as a placebo-controlled trial. The majority of the patients did not respond to the drug. But in about 20% of the adults, there was a big-time weight loss. The thing that predicted their success was their insulin status. The lucky responders released insulin rapidly in high amounts at baseline, just like the brain tumor kids. Their quality of life improved with the drug. There is one final lesson to glean from these studies. All these obese adult subjects had high leptin levels. They were leptin resistant. If their leptin worked right, they wouldn't have been obese. If leptin falls, the brain should interpret this as starvation and reduce the patient's resting energy expenditure accordingly. But these patients' resting energy expenditures went up, and their improvement in energy expenditure correlated with the suppression of their insulin levels, the same as with the brain tumor kids. When we were successful in getting their insulin down, their leptin resistance improved. This suggests that insulin can block leptin signaling in the brain, and therefore insulin acts as a leptin antagonist. Many scientists have now shown that insulin reactions in the VMH block leptin signaling, 
A reduction in insulin concentrations results in a decline in leptin. Insulin and leptin are independent hormones that bind to separate receptors in the VMH. They have their own separate pathways of action, but they share the same signaling cascade. The insulin levels at the VMH are chronically high. Leptin cannot signal the hypothalamus. And I think I'm going to stop there since we're already a minute over. And tomorrow we'll be taking a look at deconstructing Darwin and how we can uh, make this work for us. With that, I'm going to take us off mute so we can say goodbye to each other and share any thoughts or comments you may have. If you scoot over to Facebook, One Team Global Live, Jeff Mack is supposed to be on this morning sharing where the new skin company is going and what's on the horizon for probably the next couple of years or so at the top of the hour. And with that, I'm going to take us off mute so we can say goodbye to each other. This is Susan Mann for December 5th, 2022, signing out. So there we have it, my friends. More science to back up why our bodies do what they do. Well, that was an interesting um, talk today. Yeah, it was, wasn't it? Very science-ridden, though. <laughs> well, good for the... Excuse me, I'm brushing my feet. It's good for the the people that it works for. Yep, definitely. And hopefully, you know, they're getting closer to figuring out what will work for the rest of them. With that, I'm going to take uh, stop the recording and let everybody go. I wish you a great day, and we'll see you back here tomorrow. You have a great day, too. See you tomorrow.